0: State of Tel Aviv is back for our regular Sunday check-in with Yaakov Katz, former editor of the Jerusalem Post, a regular talking head these days on CNN, the BBC, and other international media, serial author, and more. We begin with a brief discussion of the possibility of a hostage deal, the issue that hangs over Israel like a black cloud. The hostages' continued captivity is tearing the nation apart. Nobody knows, but we hope, we hope so, so hard. We then move up to the Northern Front, where hostilities have been intensifying in recent days between the IDF and Hezbollah. The conflict there is very different. More than 100,000 Israelis have been evacuated from their homes, and life is totally disrupted. But it's this weird state of suspension. Not war, not peace. No one has any idea if, when, and how they will be able to return home. And lastly, we touch on the inevitable in Israel, political brinksmanship. Last week, former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett published an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal, in which he disclosed information that should have been kept under wraps. Yaakov Katz directly challenged Bennett, his former boss, publicly, for his apparent breach of the censorship laws in Israel, in what is, for Bennett, a kind of clumsy own goal, an unforced error. And with that, we wrap up this year, 2023, which started out on such a high note and ends in this country, mired in conflict, despair, uncertainty, indecision, but always that Israeli determination to somehow push through it all. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel and now living in the amazing state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Good morning, Yaakov Katz in Jerusalem on this beautiful morning of New Year's Eve day. It's a beautiful day, and let's hope it will be a beautiful year that we have ahead. It can only get better, but I fear that it may actually get worse before it does get better. So let's just dive right into What's going on? And we have no shortage of things to discuss today. I want to start with the uh, possibility of Hamas releasing hostages. There seems to be renewed focus on discussions leading to that possibility. Five of the top Hamas leaders have convened now in Cairo, looking very grim in a group photograph. And there are a number of events on the ground that seem to be causing or creating pressure on them to exceed some sort of deal. What's your take on all this? Look, Israel has always said
1: that the objective of the ground offensive is twofold. On the one hand, it's to degrade Hamas's capabilities. And on the other, it's to create conditions that can allow for the release of hostages. Now, since we now know, I would say 80 days into this war, that it's pretty much, I don't want to say impossible, because it was possible. There were tragic, there was a tragic ending to those three hostages who ran out of a home, and maybe that could happen again. But when we look at the number of how many hostages are still in Gaza, the chance of military operations bringing them back, not likely. We need a political deal. And it seems that we are again at that point that one might be possible. It's going to be one that Israel will have to decide that it's willing to do, but we also need... Hamas to decide. And from what I've been hearing and reading, Sinwar, the Hamas leader in Gaza, is taking his time making the decisions about this. And it could be for a number of reasons. It could be that he doesn't want to give up the hostages because he knows that is his insurance card and that's what's keeping him alive. And it also could be because he just doesn't, he's setting conditions that Israel will not be able to accept. And that's also going to be a tough one for
0: Israel to agree to. There seems to be some kind of broigus, if I can use the fabulous Yiddish word for blood feud, infighting, between Sinwar and the other five Hamas bigwigs. And I say this because uh, it's been talked about and we've been reading about the fact that uh, Hezbollah and Iran are not pleased with Hamas, that Hezbollah had planned its own dramatic invasion of Israel on the Northern Front, and now Hamas, the, the, the low guy on the totem pole, in this group of Islamists, has stolen the thunder and taken all the attention. Do you think that there is between Iran, Hezbollah, Qatar, mounting pressure on Hamas to make some kind of deal and that perhaps Sinwar is the holdout? He's there. He's detached from all of them.
1: No, look, he is the guy who makes the decisions, right? The people who we see, the that five or whoever it is, the Hamas political bureau. I love those terms, right? The political, but the Hamas politicians, right? They're not terrorist right. politicians, right? These Hamas guys who sit in Doha or other places, exactly. wherever it is and travel around the world and gallivant and live the life of luxury. They might be the forward face of Hamas to the world, but they are just as bad. And number one, but number two is they don't really have the control over Gaza. They're not in Gaza. Sinwar is in Gaza. Now, they could be instrumental in helping to raise money and raise awareness and do media and lobby and 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 coordinate and convey messages back and forth, but they're not the decision makers. That is Sinwar. And Sinwar is the one person who throughout this whole war, Vivian, and before was someone who we as in Israel have misread consistently, repeatedly. And and we have misread his intentions. We misread what he, when he was telling us that he doesn't want war, we misread that. When he was telling us that he wants to destroy us, we misread that. We assumed he had uh, intentions and objectives that aligned with ours, and we were completely wrong. So I would be very careful to make any assumptions of what
0: Sinoir is thinking or planning. And on that note, let's segue up to the North, because as we discussed last week, some of the very incorrect assumptions that we clung to and that our military and political leadership seems to have been just glued to, wedded to. As you mentioned last week, we're making the same possible errors up in the north, repeating tired assumptions that Hezbollah doesn't really want a war. They don't want to take us on. Iran doesn't want to take on Israel. But yet what we're seeing um, on the ground up north on the front with Hezbollah is actually very different. And I happened to be there last Wednesday with a delegation of diplomats. And we were meant to do a tour of the, get right up close to the border, Russian and, and uh see some of the sites. And I expect to look down into Lebanon at Hezbollah. And for about an hour and a half, there was what the military, the IDF officials there said, was the heaviest bombardment yet. So the briefing happened in one of those shelters in a room and it passed, and then we headed south. The following day, there was the same type of bombardment. So things are definitely heating up in the north. How do you assess things at this point? It's really tough, again, because of
1: how much we don't know. And that should be the assumption always. It's hard to make clear assessments. But I think what we can say 80 plus days into this war is that if Hezbollah wanted a full-fledged conflict, they could have, they, there's an easy way for them to get it and there's an easy way for it to start, but they haven't yet, right? They could just fire a barrage of missiles all over the country into Tel Aviv. They could send their Red One special forces across the border and try to commit some sort of massacre, or attack Israeli soldiers in a bigger way. They're still holding to that line or to the the rules of engagement that have been set through blood, unfortunately, on both sides which is anti-tank missiles, volleys of short-range rockets within a short two, three kilometer range or radius of the border. So the assumption remains for Israel that Hezbollah, and by extension Iran, does not yet want that full-fledged war. However, the problem that Israel faces remains the same. How do we get that hundred, the 100,000 people who have left their homes, how do we get them to go home as long as Hezbollah is still there? With Gaza, we could say there is a solution on the horizon. We might not yet have achieved it, but we know that we're working towards it. With Hezbollah, we're not. We're just, they hit us, we hit them, but we're not eliminating the threat in any way. And therefore, if I want 100,000 people to come back home, how do I do that? I have to come up with a solution that's either political or military. And if in absence of military, I only have left the political solution, and that is not coming yet. And I don't see I think we're going to be telling ourselves stories that Hezbollah's moved and they withdrew north of the border. I don't see that being realistic. And I think that unfortunately, where we are headed is towards one of two decisions. One is eventually war is inevitable and we will have to fight a war with Hezbollah. So let's wait for the moment that is best for us as a country. And that's probably sometime in the spring. And when two is... Tell the truth. I don't have a solution right now. I'm sorry, people. You're gonna go back home. I'm gonna put a lot more soldiers along the border to protect you, but I don't have a solution.
0: And we have to wait to see what happens. But we're we're not seeing either of those happen. And one of the reasons we're not seeing either of those things happen is the increasing level of electioneering, politicking, campaigning, whatever you wanna call it. There's only so long you can keep that beast in a cage. And it was exactly a week ago that President Isaac Herzog took to the airwaves and implored the politicians of Israel to please just stop going at each other, stop with the politicking, stop with the criticizing. We're at war and we need to save all of this for later. It was a very strong admonition, to say the least. And then a few days after that, we have this crazy article in the Wall Street Journal. Tell us about what that did. And what that said, former prime minister Naftali Bennett writes an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal
1: talking about how we have to go after Iran and Iran is being let off with immunity. By the way, I agree with everything he wrote there. I've been saying the same for what it's worth since the beginning of this war as well. However, there was one paragraph in there where he spoke about two operations that he oversaw as prime minister. One was attacking a UAV factory in Iran, and the other was assassinating a Iranian top operative who had planned to kill israeli tourists in turkey and he took credit for that as here's this is what i did i changed the paradigm back when i was prime minister and we need to keep undoing that now i know bennett i worked with bennett in the past in the beginning of his career in fact that's, that's how back. we met and that's how we met back in 2013 uh, 2014 2014 but what got me and i then tweeted about this in Hebrew and in English, and I reached out to the censor to understand, was this article submitted to the censor? Because I, as a journalist, have tried to write this a number of times. I'm familiar with both of these operations, and I know that every time that I wrote about them, I had to attribute it to foreign publications. In other words, just for our listeners to understand, if something is censored in Israel, Israelis cannot write about it. But if it's been published elsewhere, we can attribute it to that other publication. So I could write about the attack on the drone factory, according to CNN or according to Der Spiegel. But here, Naftali Bennett wrote it without it. So I, I reached out to the censor, who I got confirmation that he never submitted his article to the censor for review, which is against, I don't want to say against the law, but it's probably against the law. <laughs> like i I, who have been in this business for a long time and written books and thousands of articles about national security issues. I've had times that when I made a mistake and did not send something or publish something that I was not supposed to, receive, I've gotten letters threatening me with legal action by the censor. And thankfully, I've managed to resolve those over the years. But I have long had a problem and a hang up with the the way that we have this organization that tells us what we can, right? And also the double standard, right? Why is this guy allowed to do what he wants? So I called him out for it. That blew up into a massive story that I didn't necessarily anticipate that it would be this big. But Netanyahu spoke about it at the press conference last night and said that bandit, the former prime minister, wasn't authorized even to reveal that information. He's been attacked by politicians across the spectrum. But I think back to your question, Vivian, what was he doing? What was he thinking? He was thumping his chest. I'm this tough guy on Iran. And everybody's posturing and positioning and getting ready for that election that might come or might not come. And that's probably what it was. And he just wasn't thinking through what he was doing. Just a stupid mistake. That never should have happened, and he needs to be smarter. And all these politicians need to be smarter. But the problem is, like you said, they're all positioning themselves for the day after and for the eventual election that might be coming.
0: Yeah, in fairness, not all of them. There are a few standouts, and Bennett is now in that crowd. But I would have thought that he has people around him whom he consults about, hey, have a read of this. What do you think? That right. somebody might have prevented that. Has he responded or said anything publicly about that? He issued a statement,
1: and on Friday, and he basically it was a long statement. But the bottom line was that don't, you guys are don't, don't get hung up on what you know what I revealed or what I didn't reveal. This all these things were already known, and he's right to some extent. It was known that Israel was believed to have done it, but Israel had never taken responsibility for it. And he's, he said, instead, I acted while other people talk and just give speeches. That was his swipe bet, Netanyahu. But we also, one thing I just forgot is we have to put it into the context, right? Israel's at war right now. This ties back into the hostages as an example, right? We're trying to negotiate a new deal. Iran could just quash that right away and say to Hamas, don't, don't advance those talks. Iran also, Israel's believed to have killed a top IRGC Uh, officer in Syria last week. Tension is already, the Iranians are vowing to avenge that death. Tensions are already high. Why are we going poking them in the eye at a time that we're at a war? Tensions are already high. So you would have expected a former prime minister to be, and someone also with aspirations to return to the political arena, to be a little more careful and responsible.
0: I would agree with that. Prudent, prudent. But short-term memory here is a thing, and it's highly unlikely that when we come around to an election campaign, that an English-language op-ed in the Wall Street Journal will cause too much trouble for Naftali Bennett. (laughs) Yes. Yaakov Katz, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you,
1: to all of our listeners, and let's hope for a good one.
0: We'll try. Thanks for tuning in, and for your support throughout. 2023. Wishing all State of Tel Aviv listeners a happy and healthy 2024. If you have not yet taken the plunge and signed up for a paid subscription, please do. We appreciate and need your support. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference especially in these very challenging times in Israel, it is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.